we're all humans and we should be trying to create a society where we're taking care of each other. Welcome to the Know Why podcast. I'm your host, Liberty McCarter. For many of us, it's not enough to know what people say about life's most important questions. We also want to know why. Each week, Know Why tackles tough questions on topics ranging from spirituality to current events. While we approach these issues from a Christian perspective, we discuss diverse opinions and ultimately dive into what the research says. Are you ready to know why? Let's get started. Welcome to the Know Why Podcast. I'm your host, Liberty McCarter. If you're just now tuning in, we're going to give you part two of an interview that we recorded with Monica Snyder of Secular Pro-Life. Women, grown women, are human organisms. So mm-hmm. here's where um, I, I think people have a hard time a lot because what about bodily autonomy? That matters. Women, you know, what about women's rights? Um, and how do you talk about, you know, do those rights conflict and can you oppose abortion? And is that inconsistent with supporting bodily autonomy? So I think bodily autonomy is very important. I think generally speaking, whether pro-lifers articulate it this way or not, we recognize that, which is why very few pro-lifers agree with forced kidney donations and things like that, that the other side likes to point out. I just don't think bodily autonomy is unlimited. Mm. And actually most pro-choice people don't either. That's why when, when pro-choice people make an argument like, well, it's my body, it's my choice. And you don't have the right to tell other people what to do with their body or more, more specifically, they'll say no one else has the right to use your body against your will. But the vast majority of pro-choice people who say those things, they think there should be limits on abortion. Almost all Americans, I shouldn't say almost all, something like over 80% of Americans think, for example, that abortion should be severely restricted in the third trimester, okay, mm-hmm. for example. Yeah. If you really believe that you have the right to refuse the use of your body with no caveat or clarification, you should not think there should be any limits on abortion. If you think abortion should be restricted in the third trimester, if you think it should be restricted, say, after viability, which is roughly speaking around 24 weeks, if you think it should be restricted, a lot of people think it should be broadly legal in the first trimester and then it should be more restricted after that. That's fine if you think that, but just recognize that if you think that, then like me, you already recognize limits on bodily rights. You already think, for example, if you think abortion should be restricted after viability, then you think that... 24-week fetuses and up have a right to use their mother's body. Mm-hmm. That's what you think. And so we, it doesn't mean we have the same position, because I call it way earlier, but I just want to start with getting people to recognize that most pro-choice people already think there should be limits on bodily rights. And this is, this is true internationally. Almost every country in the world has gestational limits on abortion. So when they talk about how the UN says that forced gestation is a human rights violation and that abortion restrictions are violating human rights and leaving aside whether that's actually what the UN says or not, doesn't even matter. If the UN really does think that, then the UN members are all currently, almost all, currently violating human rights by having gestational limits on abortion. Almost every country in the world, the vast majority of Americans here, just people in general, they think that there should be limits, which implies off the bat that bodily rights are not um, unlimited. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing I try to establish is that there's more common ground here than you might think. And if you think that, for example, a viable fetus should have the right to not be aborted, or you, you think abortion should be limited then, then you need to start thinking about why and where, what, how are you drawing these lines and how are you deciding when bodily rights are limited and why? Beyond that, though, I, I, another analogy I like to use 
I do think bodily rights are very important. And I think that, I think that sometimes our side is too glib about what pregnancy entails, even a healthy pregnancy that's not dangerous. I've been pregnant multiple times on purpose and I love my children, but pregnancy is a ton of work. It's Mm -hmm. a ton of resources. And I think that we can do better to articulate our vision of protecting prenatal children without dismissing how serious that is. I think we should, I think we could take the bodily rights argument more seriously in that way. But generally speaking, bodily rights, in my opinion, only work in the abortion debate if you assume first that the embryo or the fetus is not a person, is not a valuable human being. And the other side will say, no, 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 that's not true. It doesn't matter if they're a person or not. Nobody, no person can use your body against your will. But when you try to apply this thought process to humans they recognize as people, most of them won't stick with it. So another analogy we've talked about before is imagine you are a new mother uh, at some point in the vast majority of human history when the primary or only way to feed an infant was to breastfeed them, Mm -hmm. right? And imagine that you have a newborn infant, and if you don't breastfeed her, she will starve to death. Mm-hmm. You have the right to refuse and let her starve to death because nobody can use your body against your will. You bring this up, usually people won't answer the question. Mm-hmm. Usually they'll just say that's different because of X, Y, Z. That's different because we can find a wet nurse. That's different because maybe they have these other methods. Okay, whatever. Change the thought experiment so it's not different. Change the thought experiment so that, and, and this is not like a crazy idea. This has happened many times throughout human history. Your child will not survive if you can't breastfeed them. Do you have the right to let them starve? And people get very, very uncomfortable. And they get uncomfortable because they recognize a born baby as a person, as a, as a valuable human being. So now the bodily rights argument doesn't seem very compelling. In fact, it sounds awful. Mm-hmm. And so what I try to get them to understand is, first, most people want gestation limits on abortion, which implies some kind of limitation on bodily rights. And second, if we try to apply the bodily rights arguments to situations where we all recognize the child whose life is at stake as a child, then most people won't stick with it. Some of them will. I have talked to people who are like, yeah, you should be allowed to let the baby starve because nobody can use your body against your will. Some of them will say that. Hardly anyone, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and honestly, I think 75% of the people who say that don't even mean it. They just don't want to lose the argument. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And (laughs) Um, that's such a good uh, point, too, just as a reminder that... As human beings, none of us are completely autonomous. We all depend on other people at some point in our lives. We're not completely, you know, no man is an island, truly. We can't be. Uh, we need community. Yeah, and, and so, especially not babies. <laughs> right. And so at some point in our lives, you know, when we were babies um, and then probably again as we get older, we're going to rely on other people who won't necessarily be forced, but you know, we'll have to help us if, if we're going to survive and that's what we do in community. And if we recognize that children who are unborn are a part of that community of human beings, then that argument of bodily autonomy kind of falls apart. Like you're saying. Yeah. I went to a, a March very recently with my eight year old daughter. She asked me to take her to one. She hasn't been to one yet. And she had a sign that said, Every strong woman was once a helpless child. And mm. the idea behind it was trying to emphasize the continuity between us. Right. Embryos and fetuses are our offspring. They are members of our species. We were them at one point. They will be us eventually in the sense of life stages. And I feel like the abortion debate makes it so us versus them. And it's, it's not, it's not accurate in my, in my mind. 
we're all humans and we should be trying to create a society where we're taking care of each other in lots of ways, not just specific to the abortion debate. And we need to understand that these are, these are humans in their normal state. When you were an eight week embryo, when you were a 24 week fetus, you also were, as they put it, using your mother's body to survive. That's not just a normal thing. It's a universal thing. Mm -hmm. And to act like it's some kind of trespass or crime to me, frankly, it's absurd. Mm -hmm. That's, that's so great. And then I want to talk about um, some things that have been in the news uh, in the last several months. So kind of switching from some of these, uh, I won't say abstract ideas because they are very, have very practical implications, but some of these, you know, ideas and arguments to then, okay, real life. Last year, um, we, the Supreme Court made the decision in the case Dobbs v. Jackson to overturn Roe v. Wade, which returned the decision of abortion back to the states. So now states can legislate abortion. Um, Right after that, and I know that you've addressed this um, on your website and on your social media accounts. By the way, follow Secular Pro-Life on TikTok and Instagram because Monica has videos um, that are really short and just kind of take one argument at a time. They're great. So go there. But um, I've seen you talk about this. Um, We heard so many stories, scary stories, that uh, as soon as the Dobbs decision was handed down, women with ectopic pregnancies um, were being refused life-saving treatment. Um, We heard that pro-lifers equated ectopic pregnancies with elective abortion and um, that women wouldn't be able to go to the emergency room if they were experiencing a miscarriage to get care or that if their life was in danger, they wouldn't be able to receive medical treatment. And so this understandably outraged a lot of people. But can you talk about that um, that claim that we heard so often that we wouldn't be able to help women in those circumstances if abortion was restricted? Yes, such an important question. And I have quite a few points about this. So first of all, a lot of the stories we heard are unverifiable and unlikely to be true. But before I even explain what I mean by that, I want to say that not all of them, some Mm -hmm. of them have been true and have been uh, harrowing and important to discuss. So I'm not trying to say it's all made up, but some of it has been highly, I'm highly skeptical of some of these stories. So there's a couple different situations here that we have to understand the distinctions between. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to cover every possible scenario, but these are the most common ones. You mentioned ectopic pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Other people will talk about what is called missed miscarriage, which is when your child passes away, but your body does not pass the remains and Mm -hmm. you have to get a procedure or a medication that is exactly the same as what we use for elective abortion in order to get the remains out of the woman because Mm -hmm. it's not safe. Right. Um, That's a missed miscarriage. So ectopic pregnancy, missed miscarriage. There's also threatened miscarriage, which is basically when the child still has a heartbeat and hasn't actually passed away yet, but is extremely likely to. And meanwhile, the conditions surrounding the situation are raising the risk for the woman. Mm -hmm. Uh, That one is the one I think the other, the pro-choice side has the strongest case to make. And I'll talk about that in, in a second. And then um, most of the other stories are kind of, those are the three big ones. And I've heard other stories that might be in some way related to threatened miscarriage or in some way related to maybe there's nothing wrong with the, the embryo or fetus, but there's some kind of condition for the mother that is heightening the risk. And then there's the question of how much risk does there have to be before you can 
perform an abortion. And when I say abortion here, it could be labor induction. Some pro-lifers will argue that labor induction is not an abortion. But if you're inducing labor at, for example, 20 weeks or earlier, the child is not going to survive. Mm. They're not. And so uh, colloquially and in medicine, a lot of times that's considered an abortion. And I don't think it's helpful to the pro-life side to try to delineate that. I think it's, I think it's better for us to say, listen, whatever procedures or medications or whatever you need to make sure that you are safe, those should be accessible. And then we can debate whether they're called an abortion or not, but you want to get to the heart of it. People are asking pro-lifers, do you care if the woman's life is at risk? And some of the pro-lifers are responding, well, that's not technically an abortion if her life is at risk. And that doesn't, that doesn't really answer the question they're asking. Mm-hmm, right. So getting back to those three main scenarios I talked about, ectopic pregnancy, missed miscarriage, threatened miscarriage. Ectopic pregnancy and missed miscarriage, the, the laws, the language of the laws restricting or banning abortion have very clear language in most or all of them talking about how if it's treatment of an ectopic pregnancy or if it's the removal of an already dead unborn child, it is not legally considered an abortion. And so you don't need to have these discussions about how much danger someone needs to be in for it to be an exception to the abortion law because it's not considered an abortion. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you don't need to make an exception. It's not considered an abortion. The Texas law is the one I always point to as an example, both because the language is so clear anybody can understand it, but also because Texas is often pointed to as one of the more hardcore, you know, abortion restrictive states. And their law is extremely clear. The other side will talk mm-hmm. about how the language is too vague and doctors don't know what to make of it. I don't see any reasonable argument for that. It says in their statutes, it says an abortion is defined as, you know, blah, 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 if you do this, if you do that. And an abortion is not, and it lists specific situations that are not legally considered an abortion. Any treatment of a topic pregnancy at mm-hmm. all, any removal of dead, unborn remains, you know, that sort of thing. And so when people say, well, the medical definitions are different and the legislators don't understand, you couldn't make it any clearer. If you are treating a topic pregnancy, it's not an abortion and you mm-hmm. don't have to figure out the exception. So those first two situations, when I hear stories of women saying they couldn't get treatment of a topic pregnancy until their tube already burst or they couldn't get treatment for a mis- miscarriage, there was a story... For example, I think it was out of Texas where this woman claims that she had to carry her dead child inside her for two or three weeks before anyone would help her. And then usually when I dig into these stories, um, either they are missing extremely crucial information or there's just nothing verifiable about them. People will write news stories about anything. There's a woman Mm -hmm. on TikTok in Idaho who claimed that she was having a miscarriage and no one would help her. She was afraid she was going to bleed out on the table. And then... She tried to go to Oregon and no one would help her there either. And then she came back and they said she'd already finished the miscarriage. And then it turned out that it was actually a topic and then they treated it. And this is covered in journal, like by journalists as just everything she said must be accurate. And they blamed Idaho abortion laws. It makes no sense at all. Oregon mm-hmm. has no gestational limits on abortion and they wouldn't treat her either. Also, different doctors were saying different things. Also, as soon as they found out it was a topic, they did treat her. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that woman is lying. People are like, oh, you think all these women are lying? No, I don't think that. But I do think there's plenty of places for misunderstanding and miscommunication between doctors and patients just in general anyway. And then when you describe it in viral social media and people take that and write news articles about it, there's, yes, there's a lot of room for incorrect information. Mm-hmm. So for a topic of pregnancy and mis- miscarriage, no, I don't think, I don't think it's difficult at all for the laws to describe exceptions and say, you can treat this anytime. Now the third category I do think has proven to be a problem and that's threatened miscarriage. Pro-life intentions with the laws have been very clear. If it's 
all, the laws have language to the effect of if her life is in danger or if there's a, a, a danger of a impairment of major bodily function or anything like that, then there should be wide discretion for the medical professional to handle it however they want and so on and so forth. And I think a lot of legislators thought that that shouldn't be a problem because in many cases it's using identically the same language they used for similar exceptions um, for previous abortion restrictions. So, for example, in Texas, before Dobbs overturned Roe v. Wade, Texas had, since 2013, a restriction on abortion. I think it was after 20 weeks. Mm-hmm. It might have been after 22 weeks. I, I can't remember if it was 20 or 22 weeks. But they included the same exact language for um, the exception. So if a woman presents at 21 weeks past the gestational limit and she is having a threatened miscarriage and it's dangerous, they have the same exact language that says if it's, if it's for a life-saving situation, if it's threatening an impairment of major bodily function, you can perform the abortion. And from 2013 until Dobbs, as far as I know, there were no cases in Texas of women saying, oh, well, they're not sure what the exception means and they won't help me. None. Mm-hmm. But now they're using the exact same language way earlier. I think in Texas now it's six weeks. And they keep having these stories about doctors being too afraid to perform abortions in these dangerous situations. Mm-hmm. So the debate then is, why is that happening? That's not the intent of the law mm-hmm. from the pro-life legislator or for lay pro-life people. Nobody is seeking laws that will make it impossible for you to get life-saving treatment. Right. And by the way, side note, there's no reason a pro-life person would want to do that. Um, besides the fact that we're not evil and we don't hate women, I was talking about this on a podcast recently, supposing we hated women and obsessed and worshipped over fetuses, if the woman dies, the fetus dies. So mm-hmm. it just doesn't even make any sense for right. pro-life people to want to have laws that don't have life-saving um, exceptions. Um, right. So then the question is, well, why is this happening? And that's I don't have a good answer for that. Some people are saying, well, it's different because the laws have stricter penalties so doctors are more afraid. And some people are saying, well, doctors are just risk averse and they don't want to get into a political battle. And some people are saying, well, some doctors are doing it on purpose to try to make a political battle so that they can get the laws overturned. It's probably some of all of the above. But I think the best thing pro-life people can do, and there's some organizations already trying to do this, is if this, this kind of at best, miscommunication in your state or in your community is to talk to the attorney general, talk to the medical board, talk to the powers that be and say, you need, to, you need to say in writing very explicitly, you know, if you have premature rupture of membranes, if you have any of these conditions, that is part of this exception. That's what we're talking about. Do what you have to do. And I don't know how much clearer you could be. And some have suggested on our side, I don't know if this is going to happen or not that maybe what needs to happen is the hospitals that are refusing treatment for clearly life emergency situations, maybe they need a couple lawsuits and then they won't be so overly cautious, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So I don't pretend to have all the answers to that, but the ectopic pregnancy, miscarriage, I don't see any basis for it. Threatened miscarriage, I don't see a great basis for it, but it's it's something we have to address. It's something we have to address. I tell you what we won't, we won't go for is, well, these you know, hospital administrators and these doctors are saying they can't make heads or tails of it. So let's just keep all elective abortion elite. Let's keep all elective abortion legal all the time. Mm-hmm. It's not, that's not the compromise that, that I think pro-lifers will ever settle for. Yeah. So true. And also, you know, as a fellow pro-lifer, I hate that some, so much of this misinformation or confusion um, when the laws are very clear have gone viral because to, we do care about women and it, it makes me upset to think that a woman might be experiencing a life-threatening situation 
and not go to an emergency room yeah. to receive care because yeah. she somebody has told her that it's not legal um, to yeah. get care when her life is in danger when that's just and not we true. Have seen this. <laughs> I, there was a viral tweet. I know for what it's worth, it's Twitter, but there was a viral tweet where a woman had a miscarriage at home, and I mean a completed miscarriage where she she lost her child, remains came out of her, it was all at home, no intervention. That's just what happened, and she was asking if she had broken the law, which mm-hmm. is insane. There's no law. It's such a non-starter. I, I've had friends talk about how, pro-life friends talk about how other pro-life friends of theirs have quietly contacted them like, hey, I think my wife is going to have a miscarriage. Do we need to leave the state to get care? No, you, you don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I don't even remember which state they're in. It's, and, and so this kind of misinformation is itself a danger mm-hmm. and it might make people, and then, then you also have the issue with, um, so, Medication abortion, abortion pills are now the most common form of abortion in the United States. Mm -hmm. And that was even before Dobbs overturned Roe v. Wade. And you should expect to see a a bigger spike now because of access issues and people trying to get them either illegally or just in places where it's legal, but it's hard for them to get to a clinic, that kind of thing. And the other side is working very hard to make them more accessible and easier to obtain. It's, It's a whole thing. But in that conversation, there are some significant voices on the abortion advocacy side counseling people to, if they have, uh, if they have complications after taking abortion pills or if they're having a miscarriage that doesn't have anything to do with abortion pills, to be very cautious about what they say to emergency room staff or to medical providers. I've seen people say that doctors and nurses are essentially cops at this point. And you can't trust them not to report mm-hmm. you to authorities if they think there's something shady going on. And it's, it's scaring people away from the people that could help them. It's making people nervous about seeking care. And it's, it's, um, it's a whole other problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's so sad. And so I'm, you know, it's not a, a problem that pro-lifers created by saying, hey, we believe that all human beings are valuable, including in the womb. And then that doesn't immediately translate to now, you know, we don't want women to go to the emergency room when they're experiencing a medical no, emergency while that. pregnant. However, since this is the situation and since we do care about women, it is so important to be vocal about that. And like you said, if that's an issue or if you think that that's happening in your area to, you know, speak up about it and, and contact the authorities in your state um, because we, we don't want that to happen. Um, and, and like you said, it just, it doesn't make sense. And so, yeah, thank you for addressing that so well. Um, and, and one more thing that is in the news a lot, and I wanted to ask you about uh, the heartbeat laws. So these have um, been talked discussed about uh, much more frequently since the Dobbs decision uh, because they're not being, uh, well, they're being contested. But um, so basically- a heartbeat law will ban abortion after a fetal heartbeat is detected. But then we've had people say, well, that's not actually a heartbeat. It's just a sound you hear on the ultrasound machine, but they don't really, embryos don't have hearts at that stage. So you are, you have been telling us all the science of uh, fetal development from the beginning. Is there a heart at six weeks gestation and uh, at that time? Yes, there absolutely is. And I will say that when, when the pro-choice side first started saying there wasn't, I was astounded. This actually happened in early 2019 because that's when more pro-life states were starting to adopt the heartbeat law strategy. Mm-hmm. And before that, I had, at least I hadn't seen a lot of arguments about whether there's a heart or not. And all of a sudden they're saying there's no heartbeat, there's no heart, which is 
very significant in a couple of ways. So first of all, to the biology, yes, there is a heart. If you go to secularplot.org slash heart, it's a landing page for online sources. You can click on them and go to them that talk about, you know, embryogenesis and cardiology, including scanning electron microscope images of an embryonic heart yes. in six and seven weeks gestation. And that includes, they label the ventricles, they label mm-hmm. the atria. They'll talk to you about, um, basically you have a small chambered organ using coordinated muscle contractions to unidirectionally pump blood through veins to exchange oxygen and carbon dioxide. It's one of the first organs to develop because as very quickly as the embryo's body is growing, passive diffusion of oxygen and carbon dioxide becomes too inefficient and, and the embryo wouldn't survive. So the mm-hmm. heart is one of the first things to develop to get um, coordinated blood pumping. Right. Now, originally, at least from where I sit, when, when the pro-choice side started to try to say there was, first they said there was no heartbeat. They didn't go so far as to say there was no heart. And they tried to say that whatever there is, it's just a pulsing tube or rudimentary cells that have, you know, electrical impulses and so on and so forth. Um, and then I, I used to get really, really specific. I would show them pictures from embryology textbooks. I'd show them the scanning electron microscope image. What do you mean? How is this not a heart? And now the most sophisticated version of the argument I've seen, which I feel like developed ad hoc, was that there's no heart, this is their argument, there's no heart beat because the sound of a heartbeat in, in like an adult human heart mm-hmm. is made with the valves, which haven't developed yet at six to seven weeks. Now, there's a couple of things about this. First of all, they're just asserting that is now the definition of heartbeat. Whereas most people, if you tell them, hey, there's a little heart pumping blood rhythmically in order to exchange <laughs> gases, they would be like, that sounds like a heartbeat, uh-huh. right? Even that being the case, the valves develop, I think, at like week eight or nine anyway. It's mm-hmm. just such a, it's such a non-difference. And it's, it's so unsubstantial, is their argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they also talk about how it's not heart, it's just pulsing cells. But of course, you use electrical impulses to to cause the heart to contract and relax. They'll also tell you, oh, the sound you hear on the ultrasound machine is made by the machine and not by the heart. A couple of things about that. First of all, it says the ultrasound machine is detecting electrical activity and not a heartbeat. Ultrasound machines don't detect electrical activity. Ultrasound machines detect movement Mm -hmm. and they do translate that signal into a sound. That part is true because the heart is far too small. Sounds are pressure waves going through the air and hitting your eardrum, Okay. If you could make yourself microscopic and sit right next to the embryo's heart, there would be little tiny pressure waves from the movement and you would hear it. Mm-hmm. But it's too small and you're too big, so you won't. It doesn't mean it's not happening. So the ultrasound machine detects the movement, the rhythmic contraction of the heart, and translates that into a sound. And we call that the sound of the heartbeat. But the heart is actually rhythmically pumping blood. Mm-hmm. So why are they lying about this? Why are they trying so hard to convince people there's no heart or there's no heartbeat when they're very obviously, by any colloquial understanding, is? Mm-hmm. I think that is very significant. I think it's something that's worth us asking ourselves about because they'll claim it doesn't matter if it's a human, it's not a person, right? It doesn't matter if it's a person, no person can use your body against your will. But those are all kind of coffeehouse ivory tower conversations for a lot of people, mm-hmm. for a lot of everyday, day-to-day people. If they know that you're talking about killing a human with a heartbeat, they care about that. Mm-hmm. They care about that. That is that is significant to them on a moral level. There are plenty of parents who've gone through pregnancy loss and then they go in with a new pre- I have experienced this myself. Mm-hmm. In fact, Liberty, I am not making this up. It's so coincidental. It's crazy. Um, 
the Texas Heartbeat Law was the most famous one, right? And it mm-hmm. passed September 1st of 2021. Roe v. Wade had not been overturned yet. And September 1st of 2021, I actually had a prenatal appointment for um, a pregnancy after I had had a miscarriage earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. And my husband and I went to that prenatal appointment very nervous, right. wanting to see if our child was okay. Mm-hmm. And so we get there, we wait in the ultrasound room, they check everything and they let us know that the heart looks good. And we cried because yeah. we were so relieved because we care about our baby. And that's the same day the Texas Harpy Law went into effect. And so all over Twitter, all over you know, Instagram, whatever, you've got all these people saying this is so ignorant and anti-scientific because there's no heart. And I'm literally in the doctor's office weeping with joy because they told me they could see the heartbeat. Wow. It's all so absurd. Wow. So the reality is that not everybody, but a lot of people care a lot about whether there's a heartbeat. They consider that significant. And, and instead of the other side saying, well, yes, there's this heartbeat, but it's not significant because philosophically what does personhood mean, which mm-hmm. is not compelling to most people. Instead, they just say, no, 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 there's no heart. There's no heartbeat. When tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people across the country year after year have their medical providers tell them, oh, we see the heartbeat. They're just dumbing it down for you because it's not really a heartbeat, but they don't want to explain that to you. Yeah, that's what, that's the level they have to go to, mm. to try to. Uh, win the rhetorical battle here. It's completely anti-scientific and it's completely untrue. And kind of insulting to a whole bunch of people who... um, It's ridiculous. (laughs) I I can't believe it's gotten as far as it's gotten, honestly. It's like, it goes against our personal experiences and the things our doctors have told us in embryology textbooks, anything other than abortion providers. NPR actually did an article, we covered this on our website, where they interviewed only abortion providers about whether embryos have hearts and then passed that off as we investigated this and the abortion providers said they don't and it mm. was just it's a farce the whole thing is ridiculous yeah as uh, somebody with a background in journalism that's not a uh, very good reporting because those abortion providers have an interest in saying that it's not a heart because otherwise they might lose business if people had a different opinion but yeah exactly so uh well we have covered so much good ground and there is still so much more. So thank you, Monica, for talking with us today. And for anyone who has been interested in anything Monica has said, we've mentioned the website several times, but it's secularprolife.org. You can also find Secular Pro-Life on TikTok, Instagram, um, just a lot of great resources, links to scientific uh, articles and studies and information about everything we've been discussing. Anything else, Monica, uh, that you want to share with people in terms of resources or links or things that they need to know? Uh, let's see. If you go to our website, secularprolife.org, there's a, there's a tab called content. Under that, there's a tab called research. And there's a lot of citations there that you can use. You don't have to link to our website. You can find these lists of research and use them in your conversation. There's stuff about embryonic hearts. There's stuff about showing abortion laws do, in fact, decrease abortion rates, things like that. So please feel encouraged. I will not be offended if you don't link to our website directly, but feel encouraged to take all the resources we have and use them in your conversations with your friends and family. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for uh, just collecting all of that and having that for the pro-life community because it's so helpful. Um, So Monica, thank you again for joining us. It's been a great conversation and thank you for listening to the Know Why podcast. We hope you found this interesting um, and informative and we hope that you'll join us next time for our next episode.